Hi, and welcome to the ADHD Friendly Podcast. I'm Patty Blinderman, and I am the host of this podcast, and I'm an ADHD coach with over 10 years experience. And I'm also the creator of the ADHD Friendly Membership Platform, which we shared last week about the launch. So super excited about that. If you haven't had a chance, or this is the first you're hearing about it, I invite you to check it out on my website, ADHDfriendly.com. All right into this week's episode episode 91 becca wow 91 okay so today i'm going to be talking about and i'm trying not to be distracted by my hair it's really kind of wonky all right so today i'm talking about a shopping celebration and then i have an adhd tip that is called micro joys as always, Becca's here to help me with my, to rein me in and keep me on. She's like, almost like a body double in a lot of ways to keep my energy, uh, connected to what I'm trying to share and keep me focused where I'm going off a little tangent talking about it, but here she is. So if you're here in the background, that's who it is. And then did I say micro joys? Yes. Oh, micro joys. And then my topic today, estimating time. I'm going to share why that's so challenging for us and some strategies to strengthen your ability to estimate time so that hopefully you're getting more done in the time that you're estimating it's going to take. And then as always, I'll wrap up with some highlights of what's coming up in the next episode of ADHD Friendly. So I'm going to start with my celebration, Becca. I changed my celebration because this was so sparkly. So I had a little clothing shopping spree on Costco.com. So if you want to know more about why I find Costco very ADHD friendly, I invite you to check out episode 71, where I go into a deep dive of all the reasons I find Costco to be ADHD friendly. Now, I also want to highlight Costco may not be ADHD friendly if you struggle with impulsive buying, because it is definitely a place when you go in, there's always new things. It's very sparkly. So having a plan is very important. So you don't end up with things in your cart that you had no intention of buying when you walked in, but you're walking out with them. But I find online shopping for clothing at Costco to be really an easy way to tolerate buying clothes. And I just wanted to highlight that celebration of why it works for me in case it's something for you to consider, whether it's with Costco or someone else. And I know online shopping became really popular during the pandemic, but what I love about Costco is it's very transparent. So typically the shop, the shipping and handling charges are built into the price of what you're buying. So if you're a Costco member, you're not paying, you know, kind of like, oh, and let's see how much the, the shipping is now going to be. It's kind of built in usually not always, but almost always. I like that I can see, cause if you shop in the stores, right. It's like things hanging on a rack or things in, you know, in piles that you're holding up and trying to imagine yourself in. in Costco, if you shop in person at the warehouses, there's nowhere to try them on anyway. So it's a place I almost, you know, I, I'm even more likely to shop online because I can't try it on in the store anyway. So they have lots of pictures. I can read reviews to see what people liked or didn't like. I'm looking for specific things. I'm tall. So I tend to, you know, really kind of hone in on, was it longer than usual? Was it shorter than usual? Did it shrink? Um, because those are things that especially from buying pants will end up not working for me. Um, I also like that I can put things in the cart and then kind of like hit the pause button and think about it. Do I really need this many things? I can't tell you how many times I've loaded a Costco cart and then I didn't even buy anything, but I like that that kind of builds in a little bit of a 
a pause for me to think about, do I really need these things? Or is there something I want to put back before I complete my checkout? And then I also love that Costco has a really easy return policy. So when I order things online, I typically just take them back to the store because I'm terrible at shipping things. And I am at Costco at least a couple of times a month. So I just put it in a bag in my trunk and that way it's in my car. So the next month Costco, usually I I'm already in the store. I'm like, ah, I forgot the bag in the car and I have to go rent out that parking lot and get it. But it's pretty easy to, to do that. And then I'm getting them returned. And that has worked really well for me. So my celebration, that was like my big reason why this is a celebration. I don't buy a lot of clothes. Clothing shopping is not something I enjoy. And this was a big win. So I'm not going to hold up everything, but I just want to share. I'm going to hold up my, my stack, my yeah, pile. I ended up buying seven articles of clothing. I think it's four pairs of pants. So here's, here's the pants. Ooh, they're all folded in there. Four pairs of pants, including two pairs of jeans. Two pairs of super cute shorts. A four-piece set of pajamas. So that's nine, no, eight articles of clothing. And two pairs of winter boots. Now these were on their end of season clearance and I shared an episode. Oh my gosh, these are so cute. Oh. I, I like love these so much. I shared in my episode 71, anything at Costco ending in a seven is their, basically their clearance price. And so the shoes were definitely priced ending in a seven, but they had my, I had my size. So I got all 10 of these things because they were offering a special price discount of $50 off your order of clothing and apparel. If you ordered 10 or more items. So when I got it into the shopping cart, it took $50 off the already closeout discounted prices of most of the things I ordered were on sale with shipping and handling and tax, $112 and change. Amazing. Done. Got them home. They all arrived yesterday. I tried them all on. Everything works. The shoes fit. One's a little roomier than the other, but they don't have half sizes. So I'm just going to wear a bulkier sock. Better to be too big than too small. Yes. Um, the PJs fit. All of the pants fit. The only thing that's a little too big is the jeans. And so I think I'm going to order the jeans in a smaller size and then decide because they could shrink mm -hmm. and I'm just going to try them out. And it's worth it to me to go ahead and just get the smaller size to see how I like it. Easy peasy. So I just wanted to share that because it was such an exciting win because I haven't bought clothes in a while. And it just felt like, you know, basically pretty much $10 an item for the 10 different things. The shoes literally on the receipt showed they were like $10 and 41 cents. That's Oh, come on, come on. So that was very exciting. That's my celebration that I took the time to do it and pretty much everything fit. So now I've got some sparkly new things to wear. All right. Now for my ADHD friendly tip for this week. And that is to count your micro joys, micro joys, micro joys. What's a micro. Joy? So this is from the Real Simple Magazine article from the current issue, which is the July-August issue of Real Simple. Micro joys are tiny, easily accessible joys. So kind of exactly what they sound like, just little bits of joy. Yeah. And the article was um, inspired by an essay collection written by Cindy Spiegel. And she wrote her collection called Micro Joys, Finding Hope, Especially when life is not okay. I love, I that. love that. 
I love it. Right. And I love that it's finding small things. It's not, oh my gosh, I've got to find a way to tap into joy. That just feels so elusive and huge and almost like weighty because it's an expectation. Micro joys, it's like little micro joy. So I'm just going to share a couple of examples that I get little, little bursts of joy from. Yeah. They're very simple and intentional. So my first is, and Becca, you know, I love this. I showed this before. It's my little old fashioned rotary phone. I just love this. My grandmother used to have one of these and I just time. It makes me happy. So I keep it here. I tend to, I only sit over here on my podcast corner when I'm recording a podcast, but I tend to just, that sound gives me a little burst of micro joy. So that's the micro joy thing for me. Um, my coffee mugs, I have very sparkly coffee mugs that are the right size and shape. And I just love the way they feel in my hands. Bring me joy every, every morning when I go down for my coffee. I have certain scents that I love. I'm very sensitive to certain smells and most of them will give me an allergy attack or something. Like I'm kind of, you know, they, they work against me in a lot of ways, but the things that I love the smell of bring me joy when I smell them. And then bird watching. I love to sit out on my patio this time of year. There's birds coming and going. We have a little bird bath area and there, we have these robins that just go in and I can hear them. They're making these noises when they're taking their bath and it just makes them so happy to get up and look at them. It never gets old. Um, and then my, I've, I told you I've been reading the Harry Potter illustrated yes. books. Oh my gosh. I found it is working so well that I get up in the morning and I can't wait to go do my walk and have my breakfast and get to the point where I have my coffee and my mug that's so sparkly. And I sit and I read a chapter of Harry Potter while I'm having my coffee mm -hmm. and I'm looking, I'm, I'm on, I'm on Harry Potter four. Stinking good, 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 good <laughs> stuff. So the, the little tip that I'm going to also share is the more you pay attention to micro joys, the more they reveal themselves. Aww. So I have encouraged people like, like make a little list, make it in your notes app on your phone, maybe a little folder that you call micro joys with little pictures that when you look at them, they give you a little burst of joy, make it really simple to connect to these things. And they'll continue to give you energy and a little boost. If you're feeling down or having a tough time that you can connect to with real, hopefully ease. All right. So that was the tip for today. Now on to our topic, and that's how to get better at estimating time. So if you have ADHD brain wiring or you have an impacted executive function skill of time management where it's not working as well for you as it could, you know, other people are just kind of like going about their days and time's working for them. And they seem to almost like have this magical ability to manage time and it's elusive to you, or it's just completely like, you just don't have an inner sense of time passing. So you're like, Oh, I'm just going to read, you know, this book. And then you look up and it's three hours of past, or you're like, I'm just going to, you know, check out my social media and see if anything is exciting in there. And, and literally, you know, the day is gone. So that's a pretty common thing for those of us with ADHD brain wiring. So we also don't tend to estimate time well, and this is a challenge for everybody, but it's impacted even more if you have impacted executive function skills, which you do if you have ADHD. So I pulled some information from a Zapier, I think that's how you say it, Zapier, Zapier, <laughs> article by Jessica Green. Um, where she shared a story, a personal story of her own about her challenges around estimating time. Now, this was not an article directed at people with ADHD, but her story, it really left me very curious because she, she was talking about how long she thought it would take to paint a room. Have you ever painted a room, Becca? 
I have not. Okay. Do you have any guess of how long it would take to paint a room? Now, I'm not counting the ceiling here. I'm just talking about painting the walls. Um, you're getting a new coat of painting it's the walls. It's pretty time consuming. Right. You got to think about like the, you know, edges. And, yeah, 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 yeah. There's some steps. Getting things away from the that. walls if it's not an empty right. room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, she thought it would take one to two weeks. Now, oh, she wow. did not say if this was only on weekends in between work, because I just thought, that seems like a long What time. are you painting? But she said in reality, it took a month. So again, I don't know what her one to two week estimate included. Was it just like one day on a weekend and it took two weekends? Like, I don't know. Right. But she said it took a month. Now, I'm not judging that. This is just, it was eye-opening for me because that's not my experience painting, but that was her experience painting. But what she was highlighting was the next room she went to paint, because I guess she bought a house and there was multiple rooms she needed to paint. She was like, okay, it's not gonna take me a month this time. It's only gonna take me one to two weeks this time because I've got it. Took her a month. And she kept underestimating how long it would take. And she painted, I think, four or five rooms over the course of what she was explaining in this article. And every single time it took her a month. But she kept believing that it would be different next time. <laughs> and that's what I wanna highlight. So that's, there's two things that come into play when we talk about estimating time that really, undermine our, our ability to do it with the accuracy that we believe we have when we're estimating it. The first is called planning fallacy. And that's our tendency to underestimate the amount of time it will take to finish a task. And that was definitely what she was describing. She was, even though she had lots of evidence, it's only going to take, it was going to take a month. She was like, ah, oh, this time I've got it. It's only going to take a week or two. <laughs> but the other is optimism bias. And that's where we believe that it is unlikely that we're going to run into any issues or we tend to estimate for best case scenarios. So we're like, oh, psh, it only takes me 10 minutes to get there, but we don't build in. What if I hit traffic? What if there's an accident? What if the train, we have a lot of trains around where I live. What if I hit the freight train, which always builds five minutes onto like, exactly. It's very <laughs> stressful. So if we're not building in times for the, what if this happens, we're again, we're kind of using the optimism bias of, oh, it just takes me time, 10 minutes. We don't build in time even to like get from your home to your car, to get from the car into where you need to go. We just see it as it takes me 10 minutes to get there. Okay. So those two things really do impact everybody, but they impact us more because if you have weak time management skills, we tend to already have this, you know, kind of lack of a, a connection to the passage of time. It just doesn't resonate with us in the same way it does for other people. So we fail to take into consideration our past and evidence, or even being aware, like, oh, it, I, I remember doing that. It only took a few minutes. Like it, it's kind of a faulty remembering of our experiences. And it really does impact our ability to accurately estimate time. So what can we do about that? So I want to share, there was lots of tools and tips out there. I'm going to share the ones that I personally resonate with the most because of the ones I've used the most. And then I'm always open to hear what you have experienced. If there's something else that you would recommend that makes it more likely your time estimates are going to serve you instead of create more hassles and headaches for you. So the first is to use tools to help you see time. Now this, I'm going to tie back to painting rooms. <laughs> One of my, what I would call an ADHD superpower is I have a hard time starting. That's not my superpower. My superpower is once I start, I will keep going almost to my detriment because I know how hard it is to start. I won't stop. So when I paint a room, I paint it in one day. 
it'll, it'll take the whole day, but I'm counting clearing furniture, prepping the walls, you know, clearing the base, cleaning the baseboards, taping the walls and the ceiling and the, you know, around the trim, painting the entire room, taking all of the tape away, throwing it all away, cleaning up the paint, cleaning up the drop cloth, putting the furniture back. I do it all because I know if I don't, I have done this before where I'll have tape up for months. I will have the drop cloth and everything prepped for months. <laughs> if I'm like, today's my prep day, I won't come back to it. So I, that's why when I read that article, I was like a month, what are you doing for the month? Because that it would never finish. I would literally forever, like, it, like, I, like, I think I've gone more than a year with tape in a room because I just taped it intending to paint later. Oh, I'll tape now, I've got the tape, I'll go get the paint and then I'll come back and I'll paint later. Once I stop, I have a really hard time starting again. So I lean into that and I paint a room in a day. But having a clock up really helps me to see the time and how much time is gone and what do I still need to do? And it creates that urgency. But it also makes it harder for me to stop. So like, I'm not likely to stop to go to the bathroom or to eat or to stay hydrated. So I'll end up with a throbbing headache because I'm hungry and thirsty and, oh, but get the paint done in one, one day. <laughs> That's my win. So I'm going to highlight again, analog clocks, physical, external, concrete, where you can see because you have the, the hands on like digital clocks, which just show one aspect of time, what time it is right now. Analog clocks, let me see how much time have I been doing this? How much more time do I have in the day before, you know, I'm going to have to call it a day. It creates urgency. It lets me see how I'm doing in, in relation to how much time I've already been working on it. So analog, external, physical clocks. The other is using a physical timing device, like a time timer. Again, I love time timers because you can see the passage of time. So right now I can say I have a half an hour and as time goes by, I can literally see the time going away. So it's a visual way that allows me to structure like, oh, I think it'll take 30 minutes. If the timer goes off, I'm like, well, apparently not. <laughs> it's going to take longer. And then it has the nice audible um, tone to let you know time's up. I also love um, things like hourglasses, like, so like a, a kind of less specific often. I always recommend if you use an hourglass, time the hourglass because it might be like, oh, five minute hourglass or five, you know, for an right. hour and it's not. So you have to time it to make sure that what's in there, but there's nothing audible. So you have to keep looking at it, which is why I also recommend audible tones. So if you know, you tend to get really into something and you aren't going to necessarily remember to come up and look at a physical clock or a timer, having that audible tone tied to it can be really important to pull you out and remind you like, oh, wow, that time's gone by. Otherwise we lose track. And it's like, I don't even know what time I started. So that's my other tip make a simple little tool. This is a little time estimation sheet. So maybe you write down the task and then you estimate how much time do you think it's going to take and then time yourself and then write down how much time it took. This gives you a log that lets you literally see how, how close were you to how long it took. And that gives you something that adds to your historical data. And that's the piece that we tend to underestimate when we're then projecting how long will it take to do the next time we do that task. So to have that historical data though, we often have to collect it because even if we've done the task many times, we forget or we weren't paying attention. So it's like, oh, I don't remember that taking a long time. I think I, I've got plenty of time. I'll just get that done during lunch today. And maybe it took much longer than you would have available, but you weren't tracking it. So having that historical data is important and tracking it somewhere that you can go back and look at it is really helpful. The other tip 
to then take from that is to calculate your buffer ratio. And by that, I mean, is if you estimate it takes, let's say five minutes to put the dishes away and it takes you 10, well, then, you know, basically double your estimate. A lot of times what I've noticed in my own life and in the clients I work with who are impacted with their executive function around time management, not working as well as we would like it to, I have found three times the estimate to be a nice buffer. So if you think it'll take 30 minutes, build in an hour and a half. If you finish really great, you've got more time to do something else, but it gives you the time in case you do actually need more than you think you will. Another tip is, and I found this one really, really interesting, Becca. And, and even when I thought about it, I'm like, oh, that's, that feels very accurate. And that's to have somebody else estimate the time for you. So mm-hmm. what they said about the, the planning fallacy mm-hmm. and the optimism bias is we tend to have that for ourselves. So I might think, oh, I only need you know an hour or so to get that done. And I'm much more likely to be wrong when I'm estimating for myself. But if you told me you were going to do something and you were like, Patty, how long do you think this would take me? I am much more able to accurately estimate for you because those things don't get in my way thinking about you doing Mm -hmm. it. They only come into play when I'm picturing myself do it. So ask somebody else, how long do you think I'm going to need to do blank? If they have any experience doing it, they are much better able research shows to give you a more accurate estimate of the time needed than you will be to estimate it for yourself. So if there's somebody you can ask, ask someone else to estimate the time you need to do that. And then I have one more bonus tip. And that is, I found this one really interesting, but again, I haven't done this, but I found it very interesting and I'm really curious to try it. So I, I, this is just one that I came across in my research for this episode. And that is to estimate the time that you're going to need to do different tasks. You're trying to get checked off your list during the low point of your day. And the reason for that is if you think about the low point of your day, and they said, typically it's right after lunch for most people, it's kind of that siesta, Mm -hmm. right? Where you just are like, I am so tired. The low point of your day cuts down that optimism bias and the planning fallacy, because you don't have as much energy to be like, oh, I can knock this out. You're feeling a little bit less umph mm-hmm. and energy. So you're more likely to have a, a closer to an accurate estimate because you're not going to be as impacted by those things. So try it during the low point of your day instead of first thing in the morning when you're feeling like anything is possible. I can get all of this done today. And, you know, what we typically do is we have a list of 50 things that need to get done. I'll get them all done today. Today is my day. And then we get one thing done or maybe none. So maybe estimating after lunch or during the, whatever, you know, your low point of the day is to give you a little bit more of an accurate estimate for how long something will take. Interesting. Some very interesting tips I came across. So if there's something else that you've tried that helps you to estimate time, please post it into the show notes, put a little comment in there because we'd all learn from each other. And I would love to hear what else has worked. If there's a thing that you've tried before that you want to share. So that's it for episode 91. I started with my Costco celebration, shoes, pants, pajamas, all delivered to my home, 112 bucks. So excited. Then my ADHD friendly tip to count your micro joys. What brings you joy? What small little things can give you a little boost when you need it to help you through some tough times of your day, or maybe you're going through a rough patch in general, what are the little things that can just give you a little boost, a little micro joy. And then the topic for today, how to improve your ability to estimate time. And I shared some tips and would love to hear if you try one, how it works for you, or if you have another suggestion 
post it in the show notes, post a comment. We'd love to hear what you find has worked to support your estimating time. And next week, Becca, I'm going to talk about the difference between a starter and a finisher. With ADHD brain wiring, we are often one or the other. Very rarely are we both. So we're going to talk about what they are, and I'm going to ask you to identify which one you are, and then share some tips for how to lean into that and make that work for you instead of against you. So that's next week. As always, thank you for checking out this podcast episode. If you haven't subscribed, please subscribe. If you're listening to this, I invite you to check out my YouTube channel, ADHD Friendly Podcast, where you can see and hear. So you're adding that, you know, another modality instead of just listening. And as always, take what works for you, leave behind what doesn't. And if you want more information on how to start your personal owner's manual, check out my website, ADHDfriendly.com for lots of resources, as well as information on the membership platform where you get even more support at an ADHD-friendly price. Until next week, tally ho. Thank you.